Well, I'm glad to be with you today to teach the lesson from Proverbs 10 through 14 on living wisely. This week we continue our study throughout the book of Proverbs, and uh, we'll look at some major themes that this passage covered. It's five chapters to be covered in one Sunday school lesson. That sounds like a challenging task, but we're going to make it a little bit simpler with some bite-sized chunks. This section of Proverbs moves into a collection of short, seemingly disjointed sayings that Solomon wrote or collected into this book. The overarching theme of this section is a contrast between those who are wise and those who are foolish. Nearly every verse gives both a positive example to follow and a negative example to avoid. Remember that these proverbs are not promises to be claimed. They are general outcomes that may be expected from wise or foolish behavior. I like to think of uh, biblical wisdom in this way as seeing life from God's perspective and living according to his standards. And when we uh, see the Proverbs in that way, we have a much better understanding of both their purpose and their application. As you think about how to apply the wisdom taught in these Proverbs, compare yourself to a baseball player running the bases. You have a first base coach and a third base coach to guide you. Both of those coaches have a bigger picture of what is going on than the runner does. So it would be wise for him to listen to their instructions. Failure to follow their guidance most likely will result in the runner being thrown out. And as believers, the book of Proverbs gives us God's guidance or God's coaching for how to live our lives. We are blessed when we follow his wisdom, but we risk needless pain and suffering when we reject his instructions. Rather than going through these five chapters verse by verse, let's look at seven themes that are found throughout the Proverbs, but especially in this section. The first theme is wise speech versus foolish speech. Control of one's words is a frequent subject of the Proverbs. Today, this applies not only to what we say with our mouth, but to what we type on social media or in emails or text messages. There's no longer a filter for what many people feel the freedom to say on public forums, and that has caused many problems in our society. If we all would follow God's instructions about how we should speak, we would have much less conflict, both in our lives and in our land. Here are some specific verses we'll look at from this passage that deal with our words, beginning in chapter 10, verse 11. We'll read that one. It says, uh, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Here we see the importance of saying the right things. It becomes a fountain of life instead of something that uh, leads to or conceals violence. And then just two verses later in verse 13, it says, On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. So here we see again the, uh, the importance of words that lead to wisdom rather than uh, nonsense. And then in the very next verse, 
It talks about the lips again when it says the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. I don't think any of us want ruin in our lives, but uh, we're heading in that direction when we speak rashly and without thinking according to wisdom. Then move down a few more verses to verse 19 where it says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. This is a very, very timely bit of counsel for us because uh, so many people uh, feel the need to uh, comment on everything that they read or hear, and uh, their words are almost incessant. But um, that would lead to quite a bit of uh, at least potential to sin, if not uh, outright sin, because uh, the Bible teaches that fewer words are something that is a wise action rather than more words. Then if you go on down to verse 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. That sounds pretty pretty drastic, but it shows the importance of uh, what we say. Then again, the next verse, verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. And you can see here a pattern that when he's talking about uh, ungodly words or foolish speech, he's using terms like perverse and wicked very often because that's what uh, bad speech leads to is perversity or ungodliness in our lives on a frequent basis. Then if you go over to chapter 11, verse 12, it says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. And again, this brings up the importance of knowing when not to speak, because um, a lot of times the best course of action in a situation is just to keep our mouth shut. We don't need to say anything or comment or even try to um, comfort someone in a situation that we don't understand. The best thing would be just to be there and be quiet rather than uh, say many words. In verse 13, right, the next verse says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Again, referring to the importance of knowing when not to speak. If you go over to chapter 12, verse 13, it says, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. And then the next verse, verse 14, From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. So here we see that um, the fruit of one's words or one's mouth can lead to um, actual productivity and something that would be a blessing. And go on down to verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores 
an insult. Think about how many times you've been looking at Facebook and you see someone something that that bothers you. Your first instinct is to go ahead and uh, make a, a comment about that. But uh, even if it's an insult toward you, this verse tells us that it's prudent or wise to ignore that and just move on and uh, let that alone. Then go on down to verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I'm sure we've all experienced people that their words felt like swords hitting us, and we know we know what it is to be hurt by someone's words. Uh, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is certainly not the case, um, as we all have found out in our own experience. But uh, we must be ones that say the kind of words that don't hurt people instead, lift people up. Go on to chapter 13, verse 3, where it says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. These verses are not hard to understand at all, but they're often hard to put into practice. I think that uh, there's another passage of Scripture that says to put a guard or a gate over our mouths, and that's something that certainly this passage is referring to. Go on to chapter 14, verse 3, where it says, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. I'm thinking about times in my own life where my words have gotten me in trouble in various situations, and it's very, very easy to do, and it, it often provides what the Bible uses as this imagery of a rod of discipline on our backs. And hopefully we can avoid that by following the counsel of these verses. And on down in verse 17, our last verse for this section says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. So here as we close this uh, passage on our words and wise speech versus foolish speech, we see that the best thing to do when a person is spouting off and saying things that are foolish is just to leave, get out of their presence, don't continue reading those comments, don't continue getting yourself riled up and wanting to respond, just walk away from it. That's the best solution in many cases when words begin to stir things up in our lives. We also read about controlling our tongue in Ephesians 4 and James 3 in the New Testament. There's nothing that can get us into trouble faster than unbridled words. Words also have the great potential to build others up and to advance wisdom, but they must be used correctly. There's a strong connection between outbursts of anger and foolish words. Just because you think or feel upset about something does not mean that you should spout off about it to others. Let's look in chapter 14, verse 29, where it says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So wisdom should guide you to refrain from making many comments on social media posts and to resist the temptation 
to tweet the first thing that comes to your mind about a situation. Although social media was not around in Bible times, God's Word gives us insight into how we should use our words wisely. Now let's look at the next major theme of this uh, section of Proverbs, and that is diligence versus slothfulness. Diligence you can define as as hard work, doing your best in a situation. Slothfulness is another word for laziness. And the book of Proverbs has been called the greatest book on business ever written. That's because it teaches God's wisdom for how to handle many different situations in a business or in life. And that is no doubt true that it is the greatest book on business because you can learn exactly how to deal with uh, people, how to deal with your customers, how to handle investments. All of these things uh, are found in the book of Proverbs. One of the major areas of emphasis throughout Proverbs is the danger of slothfulness and the importance of diligence in one's work. Not much has changed in the nearly 3,000 years since these Proverbs were written. People still tend to be lazy and want to get by with as little work as possible. However, hard work is required to prosper in life and business. We'll see some specific verses about this, diligence and slothfulness, beginning back in chapter 10 and verse 4. It says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And again, the next verse, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And that that reminds us of uh, passages early on in the book of Proverbs where it's talking about uh, imitating the example of the ant and making preparation for uh, the future rather than being lazy and just looking only at today. Uh, Sleeping in the harvest was particularly bad back then because that was the time where the work was most critical and they didn't have uh, a lot of extra time. If they didn't uh, harvest on time, the whole crop could be ruined. So that's why it's talking about the, the danger of being lazy and sleeping during the harvest or a slack hand causing poverty, one that doesn't work hard. Uh, the next section here it talks about is in verse 26. And go down to chapter 10, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Now, if you're an employer and you know uh, probably by experience what they're talking about here because you've probably had an employee at one time or another who didn't do uh, exactly what you told him or her to do in a timely manner, and uh, maybe not at all. And you feel like um, it's not only uh, irritating, but harmful and painful to you because you can't trust the person to do the work. But uh, the obvious uh, implication here is we should not be like that. We should be diligent and and work hard so that those who send us, our employers, will be pleased and honored with our work. 
And then we see in, back in chapter 12, verse 11, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now, in those days, most of the people were involved with some type of agriculture, and working the land was directly related to eating and having enough to provide for your family. So if you did not work your land and you were doing things that uh, this passage described as worthless pursuits, uh, you might end up without any food for, for months at a time because you've missed the opportunity. And uh, even today, there are so many things in our lives that uh, can be worthless pursuits that rob us of our time and keep us from being diligent uh, to produce what we need to uh, in our jobs or even to get the things done that we need to do at home um, because the Bible commands us to be diligent not only in our workplace but throughout our lives, including our homes. And then go down to verse 24 of chapter 12. <clears throat> the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. I don't think any of us wants to be put to forced labor, but uh, this provides a clear contrast between uh, what uh, a person who might end up being the boss in a situation versus the one who's the uh, lower-end employee because uh, he or she is not reliable in their work. Uh, that's something that's very clear from this passage. And then in verse 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Um, the image here is after a person goes hunting and uh, catches something or shoots something, well, he won't even cook it and eat it. That's the ultimate of laziness right there. Another passage later on in Proverbs says he won't even lift his hand from the dish. He's so lazy. Well, that is... Um, something that we should not uh, be characterized by in our lives. Then down in chapter 13, verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Now you think about this. How many times have you wanted something, really craved something, and and yet were not willing to do what it takes to earn the money or to uh, get out there and, and get that thing. Uh, that's what the Bible talks here about uh, craves and gets nothing for the lazy person. Uh, instead of just always thinking about what you want and desiring what other people have, it says uh, if you're diligent, you'll be able to get uh, what you want richly, according to verse 4. And then down in verse 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. We've all heard of get-rich-type schemes, pyramid schemes, work-from-home schemes that uh, promise a great amount of return for very little effort. And due to the nature of, of people, those will always have plenty of takers because everyone seems to want to get rich quick without a lot of work. But uh, the truth is, that's not the kind of work that honors God. 
It says that in that verse 11, whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And then down in chapter 14, verse 23, we see, In all toil there is a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Another fairly self-explanatory verse, we've got to work, you can't just talk about it. And each of these principles applies to various types of business adventures. What they all have in common is that God honors hard work, but he judges those who refuse to work with both poverty and heartache. Uh, And now in another uh, character quality that is desperately needed and equally lacking today is integrity. As Isaiah 59, 14, and 15 says, Truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Proverbs speak much about integrity in contrast with deception. We look at a few verses from these chapters about this here, beginning in chapter 10, verse 9. It says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Walking in integrity means uh, being the same person everywhere you go, not acting one way before other one set of people, another way before another set of people. It means what you say is what you do. Your word is the truth. And that's the kind of person that the Bible says walks securely. Down in verse 3 of chapter 11, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. And we'll look down in chapter 12, verse 17 as well. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. We're going to see in several of these verses the imagery of a court of law where a person testifying of true things rather than a false witness. And down in verse 19, Truthful lips endure, but a lying tongue is for a moment. All of these passages talk about the importance of telling the truth. It says deceit in verse 20 is in the heart of those who devise evil. But those who plan peace have joy. And again, two verses later, verse 22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. The Bible is very clear, even from the Ten Commandments, that we should not bear false witness, that we must not lie. And uh, that's reiterated several times here in these passages. Go again down to chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Over in chapter 14, verse 2, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. So we see here that what we say and how we handle the truth shows the kind of perspective we have toward God. We either fear Him or despise Him based on the kind of words we say. In verse 5 of chapter 14, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. And finally, in verse 25 of chapter 14, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies 
is deceitful. Integrity involves both our words and our actions. But the emphasis here is on telling the truth versus lying. The very concept of objective truth is hotly debated in our society today. However, God's Word clearly teaches that there is an unchanging truth that is rooted in God's holiness. Jesus claimed to be the truth in John 14, 6, and He affirmed that God's Word is truth in John 17, 17. And as believers who are pursuing a life that pleases God, we must put away lying and speak only the truth. We find this command in Ephesians 4, verse 25. Integrity in our lives sets God's people apart from the world, which overlooks deception as simply a means to a pragmatic end. Telling lies in this world is expected from almost everybody, but a Christian must be different from that. When we tell the truth consistently, we don't have to worry about keeping all of our lies straight and maintaining our duplicitous cover like a chameleon changing colors against the background. We simply speak the truth, no matter what. And our fourth principle here is humility versus pride, a very important theme throughout the book of Proverbs. Being humble enough to learn from others is a critical component of wisdom. Teachability is absent in fools who think that they know it all and don't need to follow wise counsel. Let's look at some verses about this, beginning in chapter 10, verse 8, which says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And on to verse 17, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Both of these verses talk about receiving instruction and counsel, just like we were talking earlier about those third base and first base coaches. When we're the base runner, we have to be the one to say, I don't know it all. I need some help here. And that's what a humble attitude brings. But in contrast, a proud attitude says, I don't need any help. I've got this. And that's something that uh, is against the scripture. Go down to chapter 11, verse 2 where it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. In chapter 12, verse 1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now that's a strong word for uh, that kind of person, but it's a very accurate description because uh, when a person cannot be taught or cannot be corrected, there's very little hope for that person's future. And down in verse 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. There's another shout-out to teachability here in that passage. And then chapter 13, verse 13, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. When it's talking about despising the Word here, I think it's talking about God's Word, the Scripture. And when we're not willing to obey and accept what God tells us, it says right there it brings destruction on us instead of reward for obedience. And then down in chapter 13, verse 18, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, 
but whoever heeds reproof is honored. For us today, we have the whole counsel of God in His Word. It is our duty to learn and obey the Bible if we want to act wisely. Whenever we reject God's Word and choose to sin, that is tantamount to telling God proudly, My way is better than your way. We may not say that openly, but that is what our actions reveal that we believe every time we sin. Then uh, the fifth section here is about righteousness versus wickedness. In fact, nearly every verse in these chapters contrasts the righteous with the wicked. The importance of living uprightly according to God's standard is a major theme of these chapters. Here are some specific verses uh, that deal with righteousness versus wickedness. Going back to chapter 10 again, verse 16, where it says, The wage of the righteous leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. In verse 25, again, When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. In 11, chapter 11, verse 5, The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The next verse, verse 6, The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lusts. And down in verse 8, the righteousness is delivered from trouble, the righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. In 11, verse 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Next verse, verse 19, whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. And over in chapter 12, verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. In chapter 13, verse 6, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. The motivation for living rightly in these verses comes from confidence in the future blessings, even in the afterlife. The world is full of examples of wicked people who appear to prosper in this life, but Scripture warns them of future judgment and calamity. When we speak of righteousness in this context, we are talking about living according to God's holy standards. We cannot earn salvation through acts of righteousness, as Titus 3.5 and Ephesians 2.9 tell us, but our salvation by grace through faith leads us on a lifelong path of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. These Proverbs give us practical ways to grow in righteousness each day. The next thing we see here is generosity versus stinginess. As it is important as it is to work hard to provide for one's own family, the Bible places great importance on being kind and generous to the poor. Generosity helps us keep our possessions in proper perspective. Let's look at a couple of verses about this, beginning in chapter 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Two verses later in verse 26, The people curse him, who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. And that image is of, of a farmer who's, instead of 
selling his produce, keeps it all to himself and doesn't have anyone, any of the produce for the, the people to buy. That's why it's talking about hoarding it there. Um, and then again, starting in verse four, chapter 14, verse 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And again, down in verse 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. We look at two verses just outside of our passage to uh, bring home this point again in chapter 19, verse 17, where it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, God, will repay him for his deed. In chapter 21, verse 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. According to these verses, our relationship with the poor has a direct correlation to our relationship with God. We must be kind and generous to the poor if we want God to hear our own cries for help and provision. Generosity is a sign of trust in God to meet our future needs. When we give away a portion of what we now have to the poor or to the church, God promises to reward us with future provision when we act in this way. I'd like to look at a New Testament passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that brings this home to us, verses 6 through 11, where he says, The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So we see here both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that generosity is a, an action of the wise and righteous people versus stinginess uh, trying to keep everything to ourselves because God's reward depends in many cases on our generosity. And our final focus point today is life versus death. One of the main verses in today's lesson is chapter 14, verse 12. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It shows a clear choice between God's ways and people's ways with a specific focus on where each one leads. In uh, verse 32 of chapter 14 is similar where it says, The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. So there's a quote in our quarterly that says, Without God... People do not have the wisdom they need to make the best choices with their lives, yet most sinners think that their chosen path is the right one to follow, but they do not realize that they are heading toward eternal death. 
If we are to choose the path to eternal life, the only entry point is through faith in Christ alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, tells us that Jesus is wisdom from God, as well as righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Without Him and the guidance of the Holy Spirit who indwells us after we are saved, there is no way that we can please God on our own. A fitting conclusion to today's study is chapter 14, verse 27, that says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. When we live in the fear of the Lord, we are continually aware of His presence and that one day He will judge us according to His holy standards. We make hundreds of decisions each day. The book of Proverbs reminds us to choose God's way over our own way so that everything we do honors Him. Let's close this lesson in prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word that's guided us today in how to live in so many of these different areas. We pray that we would have the character qualities of righteousness that we've learned about, that we would keep our words under control, Lord, that we would honor you and fear you in everything so that at the end of our lives we can be confident that we have uh, made the right choice, followed the path through Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life in heaven, Lord. We thank you for providing that for us through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.